1: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger.
2: And I'm the other one, Neil Baum.
1: As one of our most highly anticipated games of the year, Alan Wake 2's release date grows ever closer, we decided to take a look back at another of Remedy's horror-centric games, that being 2019's Control. Following Jesse Faden, a mysterious woman in search of her missing brother, arrives at the equally mysterious oldest house the headquarters of the Federal Bureau of Control, a government organization that studies and contains supernatural phenomena. Jessie quickly becomes imbued with psychic powers that she must use to defeat the supernatural forces known as the Hiss that have overtaken the oldest house, endangering the confines of our reality. In joining Neil and I this week to talk the surreal, supernatural, and remedies connected horror universe is returning friend of the show, Aaron Bame and first-time guest, Matt Griselda. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive in with all of you this week, not only about the base game of Control, but also those DLCs and sort of how Remedy has connected um, Control to, as we mentioned in the intro, uh, Alan Wake, and how that's going to be now this sort of connected universe and the parallels between them and whatnot. Um, But Matt, for you, since you're joining us for the first time, Um, I would love to know sort of just your opinion on Remedy's approach to kind of designing their horror-centric games.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, Thanks for having me. And um, I've been a big fan of the way Remedy's made their games and kind of had a... uh, following the narrator inner monologue of their main character and then going on in kind of a... King-inspired, Twin Peaks-inspired, or SCP-inspired uh, vision of whichever game you're talking about. If you're talking about Alan Wake or, to a lesser extent, Quantum Break. That's not really horror, though. And then Control, which turned out to be um, my favorite one. Because it kept you just... You wanted to know more about everything, but also, even though it didn't give you that, you just you needed to know what the next altered item was what the next weird thing was and why everything was going on and mainly you wanted to watch more of the threshold kids
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know I really felt similarly in the sense that this week in getting to replay control and re-familiarizing myself with sort of I suppose Remedy's approach to making a game that is whether or not they knew that they were going to be connecting it even more to Alan Wake but just how they were going to kind of craft a similar story to Alan Wake in the sense that, you know, you're focusing on the supernatural event, but it's more about sort of the world in general and how the world is reflected against that sort of SCP style, X-Files style uh, storytelling and whatnot. And picking up on a lot more of the nuances, I think, of just the extent to which they craft the world to tell these very, you know, small stories that sometimes it's just a single page of a document you find or something like that. And it's not the main focus of Control, but control really I think is a game that tells so many small stories in such a smart fashion that they're not all one tone and that was something that again like I really enjoyed in getting to revisit this and exploring a few more of the nooks and crannies of uh, the oldest house and just getting a better sense of sort of I suppose remedies tone and how that can be sort of shifting and manipulating throughout the game because you know you have some of those case files that are very straightforward and very sinister and supernatural. And then you have just as many that are a little more of dark humor coming through and whatnot. And, you know, it, it, it's almost like just a moment of sort of um, levity, if you will, and whatnot. But uh, Aaron, for you, you know, going from Alan Wake to then Control, um, how do you find that Control sort of evolves or refines that uh you know design methodology that they kind of had with Alan Wake.
3: The one thing like there are two things that you can always count on from a Remedy game, which are like an absolute commitment to an aesthetic, like a singular aesthetic, like even going back to like Max Payne, it's just like this is noir as noir can be. You know what I mean? They just take that style and they crank it up to 11 and they may but they still have their own like personal stamp on it. And then you have something like um alan wake that's just you know this mishmash of stephen king and and david lynch that that again they just kind of still put their own personal spin on it but like everything in the game is defined by that these like aesthetic choices and then control you have that exact same thing you get this like sort of um and this might be their most like complex and interesting thing that pulls from more sources but like it it feels like it's very you know all of a piece together um and then as far as like gameplay wise goes um their games are also extremely defined by like having an absolutely tight combat loop that you will complete that you will like repeat over and over again like you know for you know i know that one of the criticisms a lot of people have of this game is like the combat can get repetitive and i can totally understand that but like for me i was always into the co- the, the combat because that loop is just so tight um in this game same as well with max Payne, of like you know max Payne, it's like you have you know you're switching between weapons you're shoot diving and and it's this great combination of of gameplay and and like almost like the the like kinesthetics of the gameplay like you know all the all the looks the sights the sounds the feels like everything combines into like making the game feel good to play Um, and, and that combat loop they have, um, feels, I think the best in control because you have kind of the most options, um, available and the options you do have available are like really sick. (laughs) Like that's kind of what defines the game. Just like the same thing with max Payne, It's like, it's cool. Cause it's fun because like, it's really sick to dive in slow motion. Like, it's really cool to like pop off a couple shots and then like pick up a desk and hurl it at somebody flying. Um, so I just feel like, uh, remedy always has like, this exact vision of both like this combat loop, you know, like the sort of like, uh, I don't remember if it was like the halo designer or whatever, talking about like the the, the 10 second loop, you know, like just making that thing that you're going to do for like 30 seconds or whatever. Um, and uh, just refining it perfectly. Um, and that's kind of what always uh, has struck me with remedy games. And this, this feels the best to me of theirs.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I really agree in terms of them always leaving their stamp on something because With the Max Paynes, right, one and two, those are very clearly noir action games, but they still did have some of that weird that they would lean into more with something like Alan Wake and, of course, Quantum Breaking Control. And, you know, I remember with the original Max Paynes, I think in both of the first two games, there's some kind of nightmarish dream sequence where Max basically is walking through this else world and, you know, he can hear his child crying, his wife screaming. And they had those kind of nightmare sections just kind of haphazardly there in this section that broke up, you know, the next shootout and whatnot. And I remember those moments really sticking with me, even though they were, you know, very brief because of how out of place they were. But, you know, thematically they made sense and they fit the world itself. And I think that that's always been what has allowed Remedy to have like a cinematic quality to what they've done. And maybe, a, you know, they of course have cinematic qualities because of their influence from like Lynch and the surreal imagery. But I mean, They actually have a great understanding of when to utilize that, I think. And if anything, it gets more refined and it's a smarter implementation with, you know, going from, of course, Alan Wake, you know, Quantum Break, I think, felt more like an experiment than something that was necessarily really in line with what they had done with Alan Wake, what they'd done before that. And if anything, you know, Control feels like it's a game that they learned a great deal from Quantum Break, you know, they... Had the cinematic flair that Quantum Break did, but not to the same degree. You know, there's less of those cutscenes, which I think in Quantum Break felt a little intrusive because of how long they went on for. But at the same time, they captured that more action-oriented nature um, that really did refine the combat. When you think about what combat was like in Alan Wake, which for me was probably the we- one of the weaker aspects of Alan Wake. And coming back to control, to your point, Aaron, like the combat, I think that loop doesn't have like the most amount of tools at the player's disposal, but the tools that are there are a hell of a lot of fun to use and um, just sort of the ways in which you can start to string things together with upgrades uh, and whatnot. But uh, my lovely co-host, Neil, I've never talked with you about control somehow. Um, yeah. I'd love to, you know, in terms of remedies catalog, you know, how does control uh, stand up for you?
2: Well, while I you know, love the Stephen King stuff, that Alan Wake has, anyway, and but you know, I came to that late due to console exclusivity. Um, control was like felt like the pinnacle, you know, for the company in terms of like getting all the ideas together, all the things they'd learned over the years, tying that combat to the background detail, and you know, the whole Metroidvania nature of it just makes it so satisfying to uncover and discover. I think you know, it was also really the first. Mainstream game to take in to account the whole you know internet phenomenon of s c. p you know and the topic that has become like in terms of like podcasts and other things it's ever since control, which I think was like opened a portal to more people you know getting into that you know as well so yeah i I think that's a really good marker for any game is if you can take something that is popular in a niche sense on the internet and really evolve it to make it widespread enough that, you know, people will make entire production companies based around them. Yeah. You know? I mean, we have several of them on this network, you know, doing that very thing. So that in itself is impressive, but the game, you know, even though the, uh, you know, the console version, especially when it came out was, you know, quite choppy in places, especially when it really got hectic, it was understandable. But and we always talk about this thing about ambition, you know, and you can forgive some technical hiccups when ambition is really the point of what they're doing and it was clear they were trying to do a lot, you know, this big world, all these interconnected things going on in it, that combat that is so free when you really think about it. And so yeah, I, I wasn't too surprised that consoles that were at the end of their lifespan we're struggling to sort of keep up with them at that point. Yeah. You know, uh, so you know, one of the nicest things recently to go back on the PS5 version is just to see it how it should have been. Feels like the director's cut now now as it is with everything in there and with how well it plays and how smooth it is and yeah, it's but to be honest, like so many games I really enjoyed over the years that have had technical problems with that we've talked about stuff like XCOM, stuff like Prey you know, if the game's good enough, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, and th- that is definitely testament to what Remedy made there. It was worth persevering through that the slowdown and the judderiness that happened in that early time, even if it did occasionally cause some very frustrating moments in, in that period of time. But uh, especially towards the end, um, yeah, the story and everything behind it was just forget about it. You know, you had to, you had to keep, you know, piling in and finding out what was next
1: you know the more that we reference and talk about sort of their previous titles and whatnot control really does feel like the culmination of what they had been doing for almost a decade since alan wake right because if anything it takes that core concept and you know like we mentioned the sort of scp influence but it's bolstering it to a scale that you know, I would describe it as this being their busiest game, but not with the typical negative connotation of like the game is very distracted and all these things that it's doing. If anything, you know, control feels like it has a lot more on its plate than a majority of their previous titles, and yet it all is this kind of cohesive cog, if you will, that really does sort of all play against one another in a way that really makes for a game I think that feels a lot bigger than it actually is, right? And I think a big part of that is the sort of semi-open world nature of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that it having a non-linear structure, you know, not only does it allow you to kind of explore this space with, you know, an unprecedented level of freedom when you think about something like Alan Wake, which was very linear. And yet with this, you know, it allows you to explore the oldest house at your leisure, but at the same time, you know, it allows for you to kind of just become familiar with the setting that's always shifting and changing, um, which, you know, sounds counter uh productive or intuitive at times, but at the same time it helps to just establish the like the vibes of control, if you will. Um and I think for me, like what I really appreciated was that this is a game that is basically like a dark superhero game, if you will, which is an oversimplification. But um as a you know when you compare it to some other, you know, open world or semi-open world superhero games like something like prototype or inhuman Those are games that kind of nail the power aspect of, you know, empowering the player to be this super, you know, all being, um, you know, supernatural entity, basically an X-Men. But those worlds were not interesting or engaging to the degree that control is. And with control, um, you know, I found myself doing what I very rarely do, which is just, you know, scouring every nook and cranny for every file, for every TV I could find, which when you think about Remedy's approach to these kinds of games – that's kind of just continuing what they've done since, you know, Max Payne, right? When you would yeah. come across those, mm-hmm. uh, those sort of Fox Twilight Zone uh, segments that you could find scattered throughout uh, levels. It, and
2: I think one of the things I complimented the game on back in the day was they, you are almost compelled to read these little case files and all these things in a way that I really hadn't felt with many games before, you know, like mm. that a game that really makes you read its documents when considering how many of them now saturate, you know, the games with such things. And you know, to actually just want to sit there and spend time looking through these little stories that connect. And I think that again, is another reason why it builds so brilliantly on that whole SCP thing, because you know they know that that was all text-based and that was where people were fascinated by it like that. So it kind of worked in that medium, but still I think it's just the quality of the writing and the variety of different things you can find you know like the videos and like yeah you know, as we said it, it, there, there are so many different ways of getting to the point across of how fucked up and weird and odd this space is and how you know doing that typical that shining thing of like nothing makes sense about this building and they're very quick and clear to point this out and, and it gives them an out straight away because like None of this has to make sense. None of it has to be structured. However, you know, it's like we can do whatever the fuck we want now with this building structure because we've already given ourselves that from the start. And yeah, it is just a great vehicle for giving themselves the room to do all this.
1: It would be so easy for them, too, to get carried away with the, the idea of like, you have that rule of like, ah, it doesn't really matter because things are constantly changing. They're constantly cropping up. But mm. if anything, again, you know, I felt that every single one of those case files that you come across and read... Tonally it makes sense, even if it is like I'd mentioned earlier, one of the more uh, like dark humor centric ones as opposed to something that's solely sinister. Yeah. Um, Aaron, for you, like what do you think about the quality of writing and control? Uh, you know, almost a decade, uh, past uh, Al Wake. Yeah, I think
3: like everything you're saying about the notes is like one of my favorite parts of this game. It's so compelling. I'm, I'm a person who takes a lot of screenshots when I'm when I'm playing games, <laughs> um, especially when they put the photo mode in, which I think was a later addition to the game. I don't mm. think it was on yeah. launch, but um, I feel like when I go back and <laughs> look at the photos I took. During control, they're like 50% just screenshots of the of the files like, like I I would I would like purchase if they just release this all these in like a book, I would have grabbed that immediately because they're so much fun. They're just such little, um, they're the perfect like little short stories like um that that just that give you just like a vibe almost than than like an actual like everything that like you know than an actual beginning middle and end um and and their tone is so perfect the 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 dedication to redacting everything just feels um so evocative and makes it all the more interesting to like literally force you to fill in gaps or you know with whatever's in your head um and yeah i just love those um and i love a lot of the little um little short stories in the, in the missions that are told and all that sort of stuff. A lot of side missions have some really great content in there. Um, But yeah, overall I think the, the writing's great um, top to bottom, especially the characters. I think the characters are so Mm. good in this game. Um, They all just are the perfect, like just, just slightly off people. Like this combination (laughs) of like the, the whole tone of control is this wonderful combination of like mundane and weird and every character yeah. just captures that perfectly um and and i really love that about the game the way i was always liking it is to if oingo boingo
2: ran um you know the fbi so it's just that sort of you know kookiness to it that, that just seems odd you know the, 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 these people are like really into science really did that maybe even a little bit like half life of black Mesa, you know like that if a bunch of comedians were running black mace and, and that happened to be obviously very smart scientists at the same time just the eagerness you get from the you know certain reports and things and like the fascination with the results of, of these experiments that they find out and just the the black humor of like some of the situations you come into like uh, that guy who's basically stuck looking at an awe because he can't take his eyes off it you know that is just one of the earliest sort of examples of like I want to know where that rabbit hole leads, you know, like that. And again, great strength of the game gets you into those side stories by introducing them to you in a way where you don't have to go after them, but they give you a little tease of what you're going into without having to interact and, you know, press X to talk to this person sort of thing. So, yeah, I I quite like that aspect too.
1: Is that the one where the guy's staring at the refrigerator? It is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, there are two examples that I came across this time that I somehow missed my first time. And there are two examples of one being the more comedic side of things and one being the more sort of sinister nature of it, which, you know, the first one that had me cracking up was about uh, an office memo that talks about the idea that maybe houseplants are invading the office the way that they just show up and nobody can really like <laughs> – ascertain who delivered them or who put them here, who's taking care of them. And maybe this is something that should be investigated because this could be, uh, you know, the next supernatural event. But at the same time, it kind of just reveals that, you know, the people working in this place, some of them at least, um, are just like paranoid Freaks. (laughs) Freaks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a great way to put it, but it's like, it's the idea that, you know, people are so inundated with these f- uh, phenomenons, but also a number of false flags. I think there's even a document where someone is lamenting the fact that they've, you know, the last five supernatural events in big air quotes they've had to investigate have just been, you know, appliances that weren't working, like a washing machine or something like that. <laughs> but then in the same breath, you know, I went next door to the room next to the one I found that document. And I've read a whole thing about like there was some supernatural polar bear that slaughtered an entire village, and the government just explains it away by saying like oh it's a byproduct of global warming, which is one of those <laughs> things that was just like oh shit that actually sounds kind of believable. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the way in which they're able to find that balance of humor and then at the same time making something that uh, is you know somewhat uh, you know concerning in the way in which they could kind of easily explain that away um, was a quality that I think. Really does extend throughout the entire game and I completely agree with you guys about the uh, approach to characters in that the characters, you know, they ride that fine line of being quirky but not to the degree that it turns into like Looney Tunes or something. I think that if the characters were so over the top, it kind of undoes, I suppose, the vibes of the rest of the game Mm. and the world and sort of the tone, I think, of those documents. Um, Matt, for you, do you have any favorite sort of uh, documents that you came across that uh, stood out to you?
0: Yeah, of course. And uh, one thing I do want to say is the house plant story does continue in the DLC.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> so that,
0: that, that was something I was doing uh, before we were recording today, as I was I was dealing with some house house plants.
1: <laughs> um, well, th- well, then I take back my comments about maybe they were paranoid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, some of my Some of my favorite things about this is just how the everything has its uh, its own very specific voice, and one of my favorite things is the board itself, Mm. which is Mm. the giant. Well, is represented by the giant inverse pyramid, and they are they'll talk to you, and it'll be like we are pleased, relieved that you have done this, and it's it's just this this very it makes sense but it is this very alien way and you know that this is just like this is weird i don't know what is really going on with this but i guess i have to listen to it um and um so there's that but also just how every single um awe has its own very fleshed out story to it where you go and it's like hey there's a there's a rubber duck over there you gotta catch it and you're like it's a rubber duck and then you're running around the <laughs> the office trying to get this annoyingly quacking disappearing duck and then afterwards it gives you a little one page redacted thing of oh yeah this is what the duck does or you have some exasperated person in a, in a video recording going, I've just been trying to deal with this duck for three days and I don't know what's going on. But um, but that and also one of my favorite bits of writing in this is Jesse's character herself and her inner monologue slash when she talks to Polaris, um, the AWE that she is connected with. Um, and it has her in in inner monologue and you have this very, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Because, and then on the outside, she'll go, yes, I understand. I will hunt down the duck. (laughs) And it's just, it gives you such a clear version of this character you're spending so much time with. And it's, it's just it's such a good way and I think it really kind of evolved from the way that you played as Alan and Alan wake um or I forget his name the main guy in quantum break um where you have that 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 narration and then it will have their outer actions be kind of different I think this one was really like the culmination of it so uh that makes Jesse just one of my favorite characters last like five years but also probably my favorite remedy character
2: yeah and the thing about her that really intrigues me is why and why she works for the player is she comes in with a clear mission statement of what she's there for but in going into the older south she she and the player go in blind they know nothing Yeah, you, know, you are going on the journey at the same time you don't have to worry about that background knowledge so to speak um she knows as little as you do about this place and, and that works and that, that's usually the best kind of protagonist the people who are just thrust into the unknown from the off it's like your differences are that they have this qualifying information but it's not really relevant to story yet but you can go on this journey together in sort of unraveling this mystery and it always helps you to sort of convince you that in what you're doing you know, and makes you curious and makes you more invested in heading forward. I think those little monologues like you say in her head are, are part of that, you know, that you, she does have this sort of self doubt and wondering and as you say, it evolves from like you know, from Max Payne's very, you know, gum noir yeah, you know, monologues to everything else you know, to Alan Wake's, you know, narrative, you know, Stephen King at the keyboard sort of thing. And you know, this it's more this feels more like a person is talking to themselves. And you know, the fact that you don't hear the other half of that conversation with the A.W.E. means that you, know, you are just hearing her and it's that whole you know imaginary friend thing. Like, yeah, well, bouncing an idea of someone you can't really hear, so you kind of fill in the blank sort of thing. And yeah, I think all those sort of combine to make us such a likable protagonist.
1: I think it's a protagonist too that even when we don't understand all of the inner workings of her relationship with like Polaris or, you know, more specifically the oldest house, how that operates and to Matt's point about the board and how, you know, you you understand about half of what they're saying half mm-hmm. the time, um, you know, on the first playthrough and yet it's a game that really revels in that surreal vagueness but I feel that it doesn't lose the thread, at least for me, that maybe some other games that have attempted to, you know, channel Twin Peaks and some other of Lynch's um, works in that regard, because this game is just so visually stimulating the entire time that you're exploring, um, you know, the oldest house and whatnot, whether it is going to the astral plane or whether it's just like looking at the layout of these different sections of the oldest house and the fact that, you know, it has this really, um, really appealing to me, the 60s brutalist architecture that I yeah. absolutely love. And the fact that they play around with that with the walls shifting and all these things at one point, you know, you actually see the inverted pyramid, uh, the first sort of uh, control point that you uh, unlock and whatnot. Mm. But, you know, what I really like is that the world itself, it plays around with that office setting, but then there's always just one thing that's completely out of place there. And, you know, one of the big ones is, of course, the uh, the like survival bunkers that you find periodically that say always all of them say uh, maximum six people that it can hold. But then you think about the fact that this is like this massive government organization. You're like, there's not enough room for everybody (laughs) type of thing. (laughs) Um, And the fact that, you know, you read about in some of those memos, the fact that these supernatural phenomena sometimes take days or weeks to resolve. And the idea that, you know, this kind of chaos is unfolding in this building pretty frequently. But this is the first instance with the Hiss, which are these, you know, this presence that basically has overthrown the facility and has possessed a good amount of um, the people. And so, you know, those are who Jesse is fighting against. But I think overall, you know, that setting, it plays around with sort of what um, Aaron was saying, which is the idea of this game balancing mundane, which is some of the office settings. But then at the same time, there's a twist on it that is not completely over-the-top supernatural. I mean, granted, when the the hiss start flying around, that gets pretty supernatural. But I think in terms of, you know, the sort of, more sci-fi nature of what the bureau actually does Hmm. it doesn't really feel too far removed that it kind of takes you out of the experience almost where it's like oh i guess i suppose what i'm trying to say is, is that if the bureau building itself was this you know supernatural setting where things are completely sort of out of whack all the time then when you go to like the astral plane that's not nearly as memorable because if you know the whole game has these crazy situations and environments that don't really you know uh they don't fit within the confines of our understanding of the reality of this game then they kind of lose their i suppose emphasis of uh being unique
3: yeah and any of those juxtapositions are are just so good like just the 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 absolutely simple image that this game relies on of like these like cold gray concrete hallways with these like people like floating like you know in like a sometimes glowing red or whatever is just like such a perfect like image and then you know running into little areas where you have it's just a normal hallway it's like a normal room and then there's like piles of clocks spilling down a stairway or something like that and then (laughs) i love the clock room uh, or like when you just finally like you know end up in like the quarry and it's just like there's just infinite stuff here there's just like an infinite like range of rocks down here that doesn't make any sense it just feels so cool um with that that juxtaposition just makes every the the brutalist stuff looks cool on its own the weird stuff Mm -hmm. looks cool on its own but when you smash them together it's like peanut butter and chocolate it's perfect yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) good shout good shout
2: i think the thing that his kind of reminded me of when seeing them like hanging in the air was like the marionettes from devil may cry Yes. Yeah, that's the same sort of thing, and almost having that same sort of gothic feeling to them, you know, in the way that happens. You see them in a room whenever you go through, even when it, they aren't enemies. Just seeing people suspended mm-hmm. like that, like they are hooked, if you will, is like creepy, you know, in a way that is you know, one of the main reasons you, it, this game is featuring here. You know, is because it has moments like that, where right? you are unsettled and unnerved by what the game throws at you, mm-hmm. and yet that. That is a constant, you know. Again, no matter how powerful you get, it always looks unnerving to walk into a room and see people like that and hear that sort of ominous chant in the background, noise like that. A game for headphones, if there was ever one, you know, Mm. it just is just an audio delight. That game in in so many ways.
1: And that chanting does a lot to build the atmosphere, Mm. even when you're going through, you know, the most mundane of Mm. office settings where it's just, you know desk after desk after desk, but then hearing that chanting in the background. And the more that you learn about the hiss and sort of the insidious nature of the fact that, you know, they can possess anybody, but they're possessing the people that have, you know, a set of combat skills primarily that they can utilize or, you know, some type of psychic ability. Um, And the fact that they're letting everybody else, that's not really helpful. They're still sort of helping the hiss and whatnot to, you know, whether it's further indoctrinating people or just, you know, creeping the fuck out of the people that haven't been possessed yet that have the hras on which stop them from being possessed and you know that adds a lot of great just atmosphere i think but um we are going to take a quick break when we come back i want to dive a little bit more into controls production values art style and also that combat that we are so fond of
0: we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night Ember hot and icy cold, the rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the
1: end, what will I become? Senua Saga, Hellblade 2.
0: Play it now with Game Pass. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down.
1: that sort of brutalist uh, architecture style that this game has. One aspect that stood out to me this time in my replay that I really liked was that every single time you walk into a new environment, you get that massive blocky lettering that pops mm-hmm. up that, you know, yeah. it does obscure your screen for a few seconds, but it's so impactful every single time you come to a new section. It It's kind of like a mic drop of just like, okay, You're coming into this new section, you think you know what to expect, but as you learn, the more that you explore the oldest house, you can't really be prepared for anything that comes, that gets thrown at you. Um, And I just love those little sort of stylistic decisions and whatnot. And one thing that I'd mentioned earlier um, about Quantum Break and it having live action cutscenes and things like that. I personally found those to be a little more intrusive than they probably, uh, you know, entailed or wanted to have happen. But with this, I was really impressed with the cinematic direction of all of those little cutscenes. And, you know, they're not traditional cutscenes in the sense that it's, you know, it's always focused on the protagonist and introducing some type of interaction between, whether it's a boss or some kind of big story moment. It's more just sort of, again, channeling that vibe and using the very surreal imagery. You know, a lot of times it's giving you a look into something that has either happened previously or, again, it's this sort of like ghostly apparition of, uh, you know, the director, the previous director who's played by uh, James McCaffrey, again, of Max Payne fame. And, you know, I just love that style that they went with this and that, you know, you get the gist of what those are sort of communicating, but sometimes whether it's a visual thing or sometimes, again, that sort of vagueness with which um, the world of control kind of communicates certain things to the player. Like, I I found myself going back and rewatching those over and over, like whether it was when the hotline is introduced or even just, you know, one of those instances where you get that kind of weird red fluid that's moving around in this sort of mist-like way. Like, I just, I love the visual look of this. Hmm.
2: Yeah, it is so strong in that regard. It just constantly barrages you with this visual information uh, whilst still remaining so ambiguous you know, which again a testament to what they built yeah you know, it's explaining you see that like lettering thing come up in films sometimes especially mm-hmm. big films like that and you know it became like one of those things that Places, shit, places like cinema scenes with like sort
1: of oh, duh, this is
2: where we are, sort of thing like that. Mm. But yeah, and yeah, the the only good point about that is that yeah, okay, sometimes landmarks. I don't know if you want to inform an audience of where you are, but when you're in a place like this where you, you really don't know, and the only thing that sort of anchors you to this place that's constantly shifting is to sort of roughly know where you are, is to have that sort of boom moment of the card going across that says it. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's a really good use of that, you know? And I think that's all that you need is context to make sure these things work right.
1: That's a big part of why I think just the visual style of this game works because it communicates Mm. just enough with those images that you you understand the importance of certain things, whether you can fully grasp their significance, which I think is probably one of this game's biggest strengths. And that plays out again. And no matter how many case files you read, you know, there's still going to be unanswerable questions, even when you get to the end of the base game. Uh And I think that it's a tricky balance because, you know, some games, if you leave too many open-ended questions, then you get to the end and you're like, well, what was the point of all that? I still don't have a grasp on this or that. But with Control, I find that, you know, even if I don't have concrete answers, the way in which that the information was presented or whether that be visually or whether it be through these, you know, the multimedia and the lore that they utilize um, it's of a caliber that, you know, it doesn't feel like, okay, yeah, I don't necessarily always have an answer, but I feel that the journey in getting there was mm. at least filled with so many entertaining or weird or exciting moments that it's not the same hang up for me, I suppose. But in terms of talking a little bit more about the gameplay side of things, because you know, as I mentioned, I kind of describe this as being like a dark superhero game in a way, where you get to have some traditional gunplay, but at the same time, you have this character that has um, these psychic, these um, psychic abilities and whatnot that basically, you know, they kind of feel like X Men powers to a certain yeah. degree. Um, Matt, for you, you know, when you think about Remedies um, games in the horror space with Alan Wake, obviously, and you know, how does Control sort of build upon that in a way that? Uh, you know, you found to be uh, you know, I suppose whether or not uh, you enjoyed the sort of combat and control.
0: So, um, I really enjoy the combat and control. I think it's really solid. It it does give you a good toolbox. But one thing that really sticks out with me is the fact that even though she is a dark superhero, um, Jesse is not like a super soldier, like at the end of the game or DLC, you cannot just like walk around, just be like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, shoot everything (laughs) and I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. There have been times, whether at the beginning of the game or at the end of the DLC where I'm running around and I don't realize that one or two hiss got behind me and I just get blown away because something happened, but it is always giving you these, this handful of things that you can try to adjust and change. And one thing I really love about the combat is with the boss fights in this game, a, that they're all named characters. They were all people who existed in the oldest house who were part of the Bureau of control before. And they all kind of have a a puzzle trick to, to beat them. It's, it's never just, it's never just, hey, guess what? You're going to shoot them in the, the big red glowing spot until they die. um, And I always found that to be a nice little head puzzle for every time. Um, And I think every single one, except for maybe one boss in the DLC, as soon as you go and kind of get that moment, you're like, oh, I do X, Y, and then Z, and then it works you've just it works great but what I think about the the game is it has just enough customization and you can do just enough different things in every time that nothing will always work for you but oh, but there's always an answer to it and I think that that gameplay loop is solid and it makes me really excited for Alan Wake 2 and hopefully Control 2. I just hope that Jesse doesn't become Samus and then lose all her powers and we have to go back because meh nah. but yeah
2: yeah. Uh, yeah you gotta have a, like another level of powers I think if you do a equal just yeah. to, like go up the ante <laughs> yeah. um, and hopefully they'll keep doing this sort of shared universe thing and sort of Teasing what's coming in the next game in Alan Wake Two or whatever, and we'll see that. Maybe it'll just be like an Avengers thing, and we'll just see all the protagonists team up. Max Payne flying through, <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh no, Max Payne's going to be like seventy-five years old with three livers. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, if you go to the end of Max Payne Three, he's just fucked in so many ways. it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like everyone else doing all the work, and he's just sitting there just mumbling in the background like he's still doing his inner monologues so that that's what we'll get I, no. i'd love that to be honest <laughs> it's like, it was just, just him monologuing everything that's going on for everyone oh, no. else just like. <laughs>
3: uh, one of my favorite things um something that uh, Matt said about how it do- it gives you a lot of tools but it doesn't make you feel like you're untouchable um is I love the way uh that healing works in the game like I love that you uh yes. I it's it's that same idea that made um like Doom 2016 or Bloodborne um work really well in the sense that like you got to keep moving and the only way you're going to heal up is if you get into the fray and I think that is a very important thing to like um To emphasize, this isn't a this isn't a game about hiding behind waist high cover or something like that. This is a game that you're supposed to be constantly moving and constantly uh, on the aggression, or um, you know, figuring out when it's good to fall back or when you have to like you know, you kill a bunch of dudes over there and then you have to loop back around and go collect all the health pickups they drop. that really makes the the combat feel a little bit more uh, dynamic and frantic, and um, forces you to stay aware of everything that's going on. Like it's it, it really forces you to keep engaged in what's happening as as particle flex are flying everywhere. Um, it's it's really neat. It's a really neat choice um, to make the the game feel a lot more uh, active and engaging and, and frenetic um, throughout.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to. Classified in that it being akin to, you know, Doom and Bloodborne, and that it's always pushing you forwards and it rewards the player for getting into the fray. And it's nice to see also that it balances gunplay with the psychic powers in a way that feels like you really can't just use one over the other, right? You really do have to find a nice groove between the two of them. And, you know, that makes for a combat system that's complemented by you know, I'm not going to say it's the most original type of enemies in terms of like their functionality, but I think there is a good swath of enemies with varying abilities that it at least keeps combat interesting for me from, you know, the beginning all the way to the end. And I think a big part of that is the AI. And, you know, it was something that some some people have criticized and some people have been a fan of, but for me, I always found that the AI was just aggressive enough that They would pursue me even when I was retreating, which ultimately would give me opportunities, like we said, to jump back into the fray to get some health or at the same time to make me, you know, find a new escape route, but then to circle around so then I can, you know, pick up all of these little uh, health chunks that have dropped while I was in combat and whatnot. And as far as, you know, making you feel like a superhero, even though, you know, you are still very susceptible to damage and death is uh, something that could come at any moment in this game. You know, they really did nail empowering the player to feel like this badass psychic in the sense that like, you know, hurling concrete slabs and objects never got dull for me in the, you know, the 20 or so hours that I was playing this game. And if anything, it might be my favorite uh, superheroes power game from that standpoint because of the fact that, you know, the fluidity with which you can kind of be hovering and then picking up items and hurling them. And then once your, you know, psychic meter goes down, then you have to pick off guys with one of your guns. But at the same time, you know, upgrading those various abilities and kind of interlaying sort of some type of strategy between them all, um, all those abilities, I think is just, it's so intuitive. And there's enough of a variety there that, like we said, the toolbox itself, I think, is um, one that gives you multiple options for how you want to go about combat and formulating your own strategies and whatnot, whether you want to, you know, be possessing uh, different hists to fight by your side, whether you want to overly rely on the shield and sort of hover around while they clean up the stragglers and whatnot. Um, it's just a really well thought out combat system that feels refined uh, in a manner that is consistently uh, rewarding in combat, and the type of thing that is also uh, complemented by this being semi open world. The fact that you can just roam around. The oldest house, and that enemies will repopulate in in areas like that was something that um, I really spent a lot of time doing and trying to find all the side missions because you know it would be one thing if the world was more linear and it wasn't repopulating and then I'm just running around an office building looking for you know the one case file I missed or something. Um, so it's nice to kind of be continually challenged by combat um, and you know in some instances once you're maybe five or ten hours into the game and you revisit, like, that executive section from the beginning, all of a sudden there's a whole new crop of hiss that weren't there before that you have to then, you know, uh, sort of amend your combat tactics to.
2: Yeah, and um, I think two things really add to the combat, which is the audiovisual language Mm -hmm. that it has. The sound that is made when you're, like, hurling stuff around is just beautiful. That that, that whiny little thing is just... Mm you know, every time I think of combat in this game, I hear it in my head, you know, and that, that's beautiful in itself. But I just think, like, the visual sheen you get, you know, of, like, the hiss and, like, the way stuff moves when you throw it and that, that sort of dreaminess, that sort of soft filter stuff that, as you do it, really just helps deliver this very um, memorable sort of action sequence every time. It's like, it doesn't, you know, matter so much that you are doing the same things, over and over, because they are distinctly belonging to control. You know, everything about them feels like it belongs in control. It's back to that thing. You know, one of the game, you know, the you know, things it takes from is the Matrix. You know, and like that. It and it really does have a lot of levels of the Matrix in terms of like its you know, combat and evolving that and you know, defying reality like that. And you know, you can remember the Matrix's idea of what combat is uh, as being its own thing in a lot of ways. And control is like, you know, learned from that and, and really has its own visual style and audio style at the same time. And I go back to the matrix and I can hear those sort of chop block noises and things like that, which, you know, aren't like unique to that. You know, they, they are, they feature a lot of Hong Kong cinema Specifically within the way it's presented, you know, I hear the Don Davis music, I hear the chop block noises, certain move styles, and that floaty wire foo stuff that has it. it all becomes its own thing. And yeah, that that's the best thing that uh, Control does in terms of like combat. It just, everything about it feels like it belongs to that game, not every other game that's,
3: you know, a third person Metroidvania style. Game. I never have had more fun just fucking up an empty office. (laughs) Like yeah. this game just like, every once in a while I just see like a row of empty desks and be like oh yeah time to go to town and like pick them up and chuck them at each other watch the papers fly everywhere um I was I was playing the game earlier and I was just going through that part where there's the model of the little town of ordinary and it was just completely empty and I was just like chucking stuff at it and shooting holes in it and my wife walked in and she's like are you doing anything is there
2: like a goal right now I'm like yeah dude I'm just fucking up this town it's really fun <laughs> He's like should your workplace be worried? It's like, I mean,
0: I my favorite parts are going through any of the construction zones because that's mm. that's more that's more what my workplace is, and just being able to pick yeah. up a welder or a forklift mm. and just kind of like toss it at the wall, be like, yeah, that, this was this was very cathartic. Okay, good good job, Matt. You know, we can go back to work now.
1: Well, it's great to see Remedy continue its streak of destructible environments, but really make it attuned to this very singular, uh, you know, sort of experience and vibe that they're going for with Control. Um, and I think that, you know, the again, the ability for them to take a concept, which is, you know, superpowers, and to still make it feel very sort of singular to it being Control's own sort of vibe – I mean, with the shield, instead of it just being the kind of generic energy shield, it's pieces of concrete from the environment that come up, pop up around you and whatnot. And, you know, that's one of the coolest, probably the coolest shield animation I've seen in a game. And just little tweaks and touches like that, I think, really do lend itself to allowing, as we've said, you know, Remedy to leave this unique stamp on, at this point, seemingly every game they've released. Um, Because, you know, it's one thing on paper, if you look at how you would describe one of their games and you might say, oh, well... I have a reference point for that. I have a reference point for that genre. But when you sit down and actually play a Remedy game, you know, it delivers familiar concepts in a way that is so foreign to what you were probably expecting or anticipating that it kind of just – it's no wonder that, you know, they took this slight break from horror and then returned into it And in, you know, what is arguably probably their best horror game, uh, you know, to date at this point in my opinion. But, you know, you all have played the DLC – and I know, Aaron, you reviewed one, if not both of them, for Bloody Disgusting, I did, yes. right? Yes. So I suppose we should probably talk about the DLC AWE because that's the one that I believe has the biggest implications for Remedies now, you know, expanded universe, if you will, between their games. So in terms of AWE, Aaron, what does that sort of, um, how does that expand on the Alan Wake sort of connection there?
3: I didn't get a chance to revisit the DLC recently, but if I remember correctly, it basically just brings in Dr. Hartman from the Alan Wake game. Um, And then occasionally you get some visions of Alan Wake trapped in the dark place. Um, But I think those DLCs do uh, a really good job of like, emphasizing what's cool about control which was like that they just like these like almost monster of the week type things like you know you just get like here's just another episode like if this were if control were a tv show like this would just be another episode like it doesn't necessarily have to fit into the whole plot maybe you know we could cross over the little bit with something else but like um you know it it just emphasizes this idea that they can tell really cool short stories and this one just happened to bring in an element of of you know another one of their games in a in a very effective way and kind of emphasize the interesting like uh, tonal cross section that some of the game sits at. Um if I remember correctly about the um, there's a lot of um, sections in the the DLC AWE DLC that focus a little bit more on darkness and like you know it kind of ch- changes the visual vibe of the place with uh, you know shrouding it a bit more in darkness rather than the sort of like harsh neon light you know harsh um harsh fluorescent lighting rather um that that a normal office building would have um but yeah i think i think it was a really effective dlc um and it was it was cool to have just like the little hints of alan wake especially since i believe that was like right when they regained the rights correct like because they because microsoft had the rights to alan wake and then it was like right before that sort of stuff hit they were able to to bring it back in yeah i mean and
2: right at the end of that right. they they pretty much lead into what's going to happen mm-hmm. for alan wake 2 by saying you know there's going to be another event there in the future like that and like they, that lovely hint you know if one of the things if you go to wikipedia guess where the link goes alan wake 2 like that <laughs> it, it, that sort of thing just just to clarify exactly where it is but that and it's a before we even knew it was definite yeah you know, that was the thing that kicked people off to going, we're going to get another Alan Wake, we're going to get another Alan Wake, you know, like that. The fact that we, they bothered to go back anyway, like that was a, a great sign. But yeah, I think the biggest payoff of that was that uh, sort of clarification of what happened at the end of the original game. And, you know, the game itself has its own little nods anyway mm-hmm. to you know, Alan Wake being part of this universe. You know, that's where people are very excited about, oh, connected universe all these things going together like that um you know courtney hope herself who who plays jesse baden you know had been in um the previous game you've got you know other people who've been in other games as well you know um you've had as you said james mccaffrey who'd been max Payne, and you'd had uh thomas zane who, who had been an Alan wake as zachariah trench and um matthew Pereira, of course who is yeah, you know, Alan Wake himself, but also plays Casper uh, Darling here in this, you know, in probably one of the most memorable roles in this entire game. So, it it did feel it's another one of those reasons why this game feels like the culmination of everything because you have like oh the gangs all back together sort of thing, not exactly in the roles they were playing before. Sean Ashmore's not here, so don't worry. But you know, <laughs> we've got the main players. It's fine. Like that, and then to get that DLC was just like magical. You know, like I didn't get to play it when it came out because time went went after that. But you know, playing it this week and how seamlessly it just turned up in the story, like that is like oh yeah, I'll play this now. You know like that because I think originally the idea was like it's post-game stuff. You know, do it when Jesse's done all the chess to do. But you now you can investigate it much earlier than that. And yeah, it was a delight. And I'm glad I came to it this time after playing Alan Wake, you know, as opposed to back then where it was like, you know, before I got round to it, because that would have been, some of it would have been lost on me and I probably wouldn't have been as excited for what came from it.
1: You know, it's one of those things where <laughs> these days, just given how expanded universes and connecting properties together is so messy... In Mm. a lot of ways and how when I hear that, typically I'm kind of like rolling my eyes and just like, okay, great. Now, you know, it's cool to think about two IPs coming together. But at the same time, it's kind of like, is that always going to be the most seamless, uh, you know, application of those Mm. things? And yet it sounds like in this it is very seamless. And if anything, you know, I'd learned about this connection uh, previously, even though I haven't played the DLC yet, but it made me go back and appreciate Alan Wake even a little bit more. In viewing it with that context of being this AWE event that then ties in very naturally, I think, just to the world that Control has sort of uh, created or given us more of a sort of illumination on that world. Um, Mm -hmm. But Matt, for you, like, how do you feel about that sort of connected universe of those uh, of Alan Wake and Control?
0: Um, So as a longtime comic fan, I've been kind of tired of connected universes for (laughs) A little over a decade, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Um, <laughs> but one thing I do, I do really love about this of how you you can kind of view a lot of remedies work as like, oh, this could just be another awe event. Um, and how in the DLC for Control, Jesse just basically goes to another wing of the oldest house and then pope or someone else comes on and goes wait why are you there no one's been there in 50 60 years and you're like well why haven't that but then everything is still as uh up to date not up to date kind of that that same that same idea looks like everyone just left on lunch break idea and you're just like but what's going on here? And um, I think it's really great. There is the very, in my opinion, seamless adaptation of the Bright Falls darkness goo aspect in the AWE DLC, because um, I forget who exactly it is, but someone's talking to Jesse over the intercom. And it was just like, well, do you have a flashlight? Do you have um do you have flares? You know, you could wrap yourself in Christmas lights, which is all great nods to Alan Wake and she's just like, "No, I don't have that stuff." <laughs> so you pick up work lights with your like little psychic abilities and you're just like flashing it around and it's it's just such a a cool thing because like they didn't go and they're like, "All right, cool. Now the service weapon has a flashlight on it. Do the thing." Um, which is, which is just really great because it just adds this other aspect to the game that, you know, um, I mean, it kind of reminds me of when doom three came out and there was a the whole flashlight and your gun thing. And everyone was like, no, just put a duct tape, your flashlight to the gun. And it's just like, no, weird. <laughs> but this, it just really feels like another part because the darkness isn't usually well the goo isn't in combat but there are dark darkness sections in combat but it just it feels just like another layer of control it's just another thing that jesse has to deal with not not like oh we're gonna we're gonna staple some alan wake onto your control here um so
1: that kind of speaks to the brilliance i think of remedy and how you know they are seemingly refining their craft to the best of their abilities with each game because what you just mentioned is they don't include things that feel blatantly tacked on in a way that when you go back to the rest of Control, you're like, well, that can't translate and that just feels too foreign to the original experience. If anything, they play around with the tool set that Jesse Faden has and what makes Control and that character so unique and adapt it in a way that you can still have those nods. It can be a story and a gameplay functionality while not you know, rewriting how you play Control to the degree that you're like, okay, well... If I go back now, all of a sudden this feels strange because there's this new element that wasn't prevalent for, you know, 90% of the experience before you got to the DLC. Um, But I do need to ask you, Matt, to tell us about um, that plant side mission that you (laughs) mentioned, because that's one of my favorite uh, little notes that you find in the game. And to hear that that's a focal point or a side story of the DLC uh, is fantastic news to my ears.
0: So... um... It goes it happens in the AWE um, DLC. You get a um, you get a side mission. You get a couple side missions from um, from Ati, the uh, the the janitor who might be an AWE himself. I don't really know, <laughs> but I, th- um, I think that's basically the idea. He's, yeah, he's, so he's
2: posing as a janitor.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, but he goes and one of them is uh, illuminate the plants. And it's, they're just some house plant, potted house plants that you have to shine a light on, but you have to go basically through the entire oldest house. It takes you back to the regular, um, the, the, the main campaign parts of the house sometimes. And it goes, and then you do that, but you don't really know why. And then it, and then it's, you go back to communications and you have another job says, talk to the plants. (laughs) And, And Jesse's just like, um okay so you go and you find these plants and you're like your leaves look so green today i'm so proud of you (laughs) and it goes and it's it's just like this happens and then um that's like that's just what it is and it's just like and at the end she's she's like i need to find out I, i need to assign someone to to do this uh like water these plants like supervisor of house plant growth or something <laughs> yeah. and it's just one of one of those things where it's just like this did not matter you know you could have missed that first that first case file you could have not done this but it was so silly but such a fun little quest that i when i found it i was like I have to eliminate these plants. What's going on? I have to talk to the plants. I need to talk to these plants right now. I don't care. I haven't beaten Dr. Hartman yet. I'm going to go talk to the plants instead.
1: But I think that even though that's an example of like one of the probably the sillier missions, right? At the same time, though, you mentioned the fact that like somebody has this new title of like the head of house plants or whatever, which speaks to the sort of dark humor bureaucracy of control where everybody, no matter how ridiculous their job title is, they still have a job title that sounds very official. And just the fact also that, you know, one of the elements that I didn't mention was the fact that, you know, while this is the Bureau of Control, they have all of these like silly acronyms basically for all of this fantastical supernatural stuff. So like the objects of power are called oops, basically. And like, I love that you have that introduction to just a floppy disk But then the fact that that doubles as your telekinetic ability uh, to, you know, launch shit for the next, you know, 20, 25 hours. (laughs) It's a good pun that it's
3: the launch codes on the disc. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Top notch.
1: (laughs) There is so much great writing in this game that it really is the type of thing that when you go back and play it again it all just, it hits not only harder, but I feel like you pick up on some of the more clever writing just because of the fact that you're so inundated with it that at times you could actually miss some of those things. And it just, it ends up being a game that feels so rich. And even if you're somebody that maybe is not super invested in tracking down every little bit of lore, like I'm honestly somebody that does not do that with a lot of games. This is the game though that I do that with because Mm -hmm. of the fact that Every single piece of a document that I come across, or uh, a sound bite, or a file, it's just like if I don't pick it up, if I don't deviate from my path, I know I'm missing out on something that's more than worthwhile, which is not always the case, I think, with a lot of the like lore flavor text that you find around um, some games. And partially that's probably because they went with the semi open world rather than just this, you know, sprawling open world where it's like, yeah, it's easier to miss things. So the sort of close confines of the oldest house while still having a layer of freedom. I think it really does promote sort of that exploration aspect. And for me, it gave me reason to, you know, return to certain areas. They also have those um, little like, I suppose, contracts that you can take out where it's like, oh, go to the executive section and, you know, kill 10 hiss with headshots or something like that, which is like a pretty generic mission. But knowing that, the combat is going to be, you know, more difficult every time you return to an area, but at the same time, it gives you the chance to, you know, uh, perhaps stumble upon something you missed the first time because you were engaged in, you know, a firefight or something along those lines. Mm,
2: absolutely, um, yeah. I know we talked about the AWE expansion, but I think the foundation in terms of the control story is more interesting because I think yeah, it sets up yeah, a rebellion, if you will. You know, in terms of like Jesse's uh, role at the Bureau and you know I I loved that especially towards the end of that because naturally of the two it was the one that people like kind of you know, shrugged the shoulders at and looked at it like that because everyone was focused on the one that was like that's the one with Alan Wake, that's the one with Alan Wake we must find out what that's about and this one was like the other one if you will but if you care about what's going on in control i think it's so much more interesting and something about it that comes towards the end of this especially is that sort of revelation of why this um story has occurred just felt like a special addition you know in the same way we were talking earlier about these being like side stories monster of the week things like that you know x files extra episodes this is one of those where it's monster of the week, but it also has that extra nod yeah. at the end to, to that furthers the overall story. So, um, I suppose Matt, I so say you, you have you you've played Foundation, I yes, see I you. have, yeah, and so that sort of revelation of just at the end with the you know in terms of the board, uh, how impactful was that for you?
0: So, I actually. Um, One thing off of you of saying that people were a lot more interested in the AWE uh, DLC. I enjoyed the foundation more, to be honest, because I was very interested in more of what is going on with the board and former, who is this other entity that might've been the board might not have been, but I just, I thought that expansion was so interesting because it just, um, it added to you know you go after the main story there's that power shift in the board of control and you kind of go and they're like oh hey guess what there's this thing that's bleeding the astral plane into our world can you check on it also by the way marshall's gone and you you just go in and you're like i just dealt with all of this stuff i thought i was gonna you know figure out what was going on anymore no no now now you're gonna figure this out and it was just a very interesting story because it kind of brought in how the bureau was not created but how it and the oldest house kind of became entangled and then it just went and you did that and finally you started talking back against the board and really trying to figure out what was going on with this and i thought it was just a very interesting story and it was very in character for what jesse went through and like what she is just not gonna put up with anymore because absolutely yeah
2: yeah yeah absolutely it really does i think like I said, it sows the seeds of rebellion, which I think is probably the most intriguing thing if you're thinking of a sequel in yeah. terms of how she will handle things and how things will change for the Bureau. Um, yeah, so I think that's something you really want to happen you know, with, with that. You, you want to see where this story goes. But the story of Marshall you know, towards the end of this feels like the most you know, damning thing of like corporate culture like that you know th- there's lots of that you know in intersplice with everything that's going on here where right? you are almost getting a parody of like modern office life you know down right down to that sort of dream sequence style bit you get with jesse towards the end of the the base game but here you know aaron you know when you just saw how marshall was treated in that dlc it, it really did just take you there with jesse didn't it you know, in terms of like setting you on where this story should go next
3: it's been a while since i played that honestly i actually haven't played that since uh <laughs> since um i reviewed it god which is i'm re- realizing nearly four years ago now so yeah, it's um been out yeah. For a while. yeah the details are a little um faint in my mind at
2: this point but I, I mean to be fair i was looking for my review earlier and like that long ago huh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, yeah. Yeah, I wrote that <laughs> did i It's <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> Which is understandable, you know, when you talk about games this long, it, it, you do mm-hmm. have moments like that where you look back at things and go, Oh, maybe my opinion feels felt different then, but yeah, you because know, mm. yeah, the freshness of everything, especially when you are experiencing mm-hmm. it for the first time, it is very different to second time, especially in video games where you know a lot of the excitement and enjoyment is about being the first time you do something and the first time you get into something, but yeah, I th- I think. So I suppose I could sidestep that question for you (laughs) and ask a second question, which is like the fact that you sort of go below, you know, the place below the oldest house and see all this stuff that, you know, I think something Matt mentioned, you know, like that sort of more industrial sort of Mm -hmm. feeling to certain parts of that place. You know, you get more of that and it's like these caves and things like that and like you feel the history
3: don't mm-hmm. you? i i yeah. think in that area more than anything um one of my favorite parts about uh that one is it really like shows the malleability of this game of this of this setting is just like anything can be in this game and it's like yeah you have you have all these like you know you've spent so much time going through this like very mon- mundane corporate office building and then you're just in these like weird rock formations and caves and all sorts of stuff and it still feels like of a whole um you know as one part and i love that uh about how this universe can just make anything that shows up feel completely in line with with the rest of it um it's, it shows a really strong commitment to their writing and their tone and everything they've established going forward so far so mm. yeah it does a grand job
1: surmising for what you guys have been saying about this and while i haven't played the dlc at the same time it sounds as if it is kind of in line with what we were saying about the fact that jesse's never able to truly become the super soldier uh even with all these powers is still susceptible to danger and at the same time from the story standpoint even once you get to the end of control she still finds herself in these situations that are you know almost outside the realm of her ability to kind of like have a i suppose a closure to these events if anything you know there yeah. is no real end point of control in that sense where it's like, okay, this is just a, a job for the rest of her life that's ever going to be evolving and throwing new challenges at her and whatnot, which, you know, from a universe building standpoint, I love because it's in, you know, it kind of is uh, along the lines of like the X Files, right? It's like even once Mulder and Scully retire and whatnot, go to greener pastures, they're going to have to get replaced because these supernatural events and the monster of the week type things are just going to keep happening uh, over and over, whether or not they're involved. And, You know, when you think about the future of not only Control, but then Alan Wake and the sort of merging of those universes, it makes me even more excited. Honestly, you know, granted, we're uh, about a month away from Alan Wake 2's release, but like it just I get more and more excited at the thought of the possibilities that could come along with combining those universes. And the fact that even though you have these two characters, kind of like what Matt was saying, those universes... Feel so in tandem with one another, regardless of whether there's implications for Jesse because of one of these AWEs, or you know Alan Wake with one of these AWE events. It all just feels connected in a way that I think is just very unique for a connected universe. In the sense that when you think about connected universes, a lot of the times it kind of it feels very generic. It feels you can start to see the puppet strings, if you will, on how it feels these like things it's come together after the fact,
2: doesn't it? Yes, and, it like does. in many cases, like. This is a trend. Let's follow it. Yep, how can we exactly. connect the dots? This yep. feels like that was the plan. It Always. feels
1: reactionary rather yeah. than something that feels intuitive in how it is implemented. Exactly. Yeah, but I suppose if we're wrapping up our chat about control, um, you know, in ter- we could briefly just talk about Alan Wake Two, I guess, and what we're most excited for uh, about If we want to kind of go around with that, Matt, why don't you start?
0: Yeah. So um, I'm excited. A, for... Well, I mean, once it comes to Steam, because I don't really use Epic Games. But uh, one thing is, I just really like the idea of Alan going and fighting his alter ego. And how that is going to really kind of bring this forward. Because I think that everything is going to be more... uh, i i don't want to say dynamic because i'm i'm really hoping it is going to be you know obviously an advancement from the first game and its dlc but it will just allow alan's character to feel a step up because even though he was trapped in the dark place for so long he knows more things and it's just it's it's going to be really interesting to see how they go and how they handle that because of the complaints of, oh, the, you know, the combat was boring. Oh, how are you going to do this? How are you going to change all these aspects? And, you know, if a company is going to make this more interesting, I, you know, Remedy, I think, is going to make Alan Wake 2 really solid.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think going back and replaying the Alan Wake remaster a few years ago, It was the type of thing where, and we've all said it, right? The internal monologues are probably one of the strongest aspects of Alan Wake. At the same time, you know, you get to read those documents and, you know, chapters from the book, which were great. But Alan Wake himself in the moment is very reactionary, I found, a lot of the time, which, you know, is by design. But at the same time, by the end of that game, I was a little tired of that, where it's just like he's having these massive reactions, everything, and it's like shit's been crazy since the moment the game started. Like, yeah, you need to evolve a little bit more in that regard. And I think that with Alan Wake too, it'll be fascinating just to see how, you know, his character maybe will be a little more empowered or a little bit more in on it, if you will, you know, to the degree that, you know, Jesse adapts very quickly. And granted, she has a little bit more background on why things are happening. But, you know, it'll be nice to see an elevated version of Alan Wake, somebody that is able to be a little more reflective of his history and what's happened to him in the previous game. What were you going to say, Neil?
2: I was going to say that the thing that I'm quite excited about in terms of like Stephen King-style stuff in this is the setup for this game kind of reminds me of Lysi's story, which is the story of an author who dies and his wife gets into the materials he'd written and finds out how real the inspiration was. Like that, and that feels like perfect fodder for this, you know, in terms of like having another character come in and like experience the stuff that Alan had made reality and, you know, his influence beyond that realm like that. If it's anything like, I mean, it can't be exactly like that, of course, because it's not husband and wife, you know, that was a very personal story in terms of King between him and Tabitha. But here, this is a good, you know, if that's, The template for what this is going for, I would really be intrigued by that. Someone else going through Alan's stuff, which, you know, AWE hinted at a bit, you know, in terms of like uh, where that story went, you know, like Alan did this, this, and this to make this story happen, like that. I like that. I love Alan's role as being like this meta director of something in the same way that King does a lot in like the later Dark Tower, like uh, novels as well, you know, where you have him being a, an actual fucking character you know in, in you know and certain life events that happened in are uh, like canon events in stealing hang books and it's it gets mental yeah you know? and that was done at a time where that wasn't like the thing that wasn't like the n- norm like that i think we discussed this a bit when we were talking about like bioshock games and we said about infinite and how like i said one of the things that infinite kind of hooked me in, in at the time was just because i'd read like the dark tower stuff and like so much what infinite was doing was like that you know this interdimensional pop culture thing that just drew everything it could into it it it, as a a, an entity and while i don't think alan week 2 will be quite that level i think it will take on an aspect of that because we've already kind of seen it within this universe you know it you will probably get stuff that draws from Max Payne. You will probably get stuff from Quantum Break and you will absolutely get stuff from Control like that. It's going to be that it is because the connection is already made. We know this. And I am most excited for that, you know, with this. Uh, and that and, you know, this renewed sense of horror in it that is different to what Alan Wake once was.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that that's going to be one of the most interesting aspects is going to be how they approach combat, right? Because I believe Mm -hmm. I had read that it's going to have a more survival horror emphasis rather than the sort of wave-based mob mentality of the original Alan Wake, Mm -hmm. which arguably is probably one of the weaker elements of Alan Wake. But, you know, seeing how they're able to adapt what was cool about the original Alan Wake's combat, which is, you know, the light mechanic and all of that, and then applying that to something that has a, a smaller... Perhaps scope of combat, but yeah. more intense, uh, or something that's a little more heightened in the horror aspect of it, and seeing how you know the survival aspect plays into that uh, with that universe, I think will be uh, you know quite defining for that sequel. But Aaron, for you, what are you most excited about for Wake 2? I think
3: it's what you were just talking about of how I want to see how they evolve gameplay. I want to see how um, how uh, they take this same you know the same like character and do it 13 years later after they've learned from two other games you know one that was less successful in quantum break and then one that was just like this absolute you know like they did they did control and like three years for like a lower budget than most of their other games because they it was like 30 million yeah i think it was 30 million and they it was like kind of a scrappy production where they just had to like you know move forward and learn and refine and um i'm very interested to see how they can like you were saying like they have explicitly said this is their first survival horror game like this is like they want this to be A horror game and like a survival horror game rather than just like an action game with horror elements as they've called it before um and i'm interested especially like looking at the range of things they were able to do and control um to to figure out how they can apply some of those lessons they learned like you know if you look at control you have you have things in there that are like the ashtray mage that are just like absolute roller coaster rides of audio visual but then you have things like the ocean view hotel which motel which are just like small little surrealist puzzles and and the fact that they are able to do all these things um this this wide range of things i think i think seeing things like the the type of puzzle solving you have to do in ocean view is going to apply awesome to to alan wake i think that's going to be like something that will that type and that tone of gameplay is going to absolutely sing in the alan wake game so I'm, I'm excited to see how they take everything they've learned here and like all these short little stories that they were able to tell and control and and make it into something like that's a more you know this like cohesive narrative thing that they do with Alan Wake that's a lot more focused on like one propulsive story rather than this big open world thing that Control was
2: yeah I mean it's going to be tighter that, that's the main thing It's like it's not going to be ex- as expansive as Control so the potential for what they could do in terms of what they've done before that's probably the most exciting thing really when you think about it is that they could do anything they could just make you know, Alan Wake came out 13 years ago. You know, and, you know, and so much has changed in that time, not just for Remedy, but for gaming in general. And Remedy were already sort of ahead of things in certain aspects, probably slightly behind in others. And now they're kind of there. They caught up where they needed to, and they're still ahead of the game in so many ways. So, man, to see it, to see what they could do with this. In something that is going to be a more compact experience, wow! It it could be one of the greatest proof of points that single player games you know, that are straightforward, a few, you know a certain amount of hours long, can work and can do the job. I mean, it may be bigger than we ever knew, and it'd be surprising in that way. But I think it it's not going to be controlled. Let's be honest, because it can't be. But I think a survival horror game, ideally, you don't really want to go too far on the hours because then it stops being a survival horror game and it starts being a survival game. Uh, and that's where the worry may lie. But I don't know. Just They could always offer something we never expected because control is that. You know, and it could very much be the case with this.
1: I think if anybody, not that there isn't a shortage of hype for Alan Wake 2, but I think that if anybody wants to be even more hyped for Alan Wake 2, they do themselves a favor by going back and replaying, you know, control or bits of control like we all did, um, just because I think when we, and we've talked about it, you know, looking at Remedy's body of work post-Alan Wake and how they're continually building and adapting and refining and whatnot, uh, it really, you know, this week kind of solidified just how excited I am because of the fact of Some of the things that we've mentioned, but also I think it's their ability to build upon what they had already done so well or improved upon elements that were, you know, uh, they were fine, but they needed a little bit more refining. And then they delivered something like Control, which I was not expecting them to go that route after something like Alan Wake or even after Quantum Break. Quantum Break was the game where I was just kind of like, okay, are we moving away from the horror that we just had some great success with and whatnot? And then to see them even grow from the non-horror title that they had released and adapt to the things that maybe worked in quantum break or refining the elements that maybe were not implemented as well as they could have been. And then gave us control and, you know, really uh, a game that I think uh, exceeded my expectations in more ways than one.
2: Yeah. I think to be fair, quantum break, much like, like so the early history of modern hit Suffered because of stuff that was kind of pushed upon it by the people in charge you know in terms of like adapting to a certain period of time in gaming like uh, the cross between live service and episodic content and all these things and trying to blend television and movies and games into one big entity and you know Quantum Break was like that was the big thing it was like it's a TV show and it's a game at the same time and you know that that got abandoned before the game ever came out. And so that kind of ruined the whole point, you know, like that Xbox and Microsoft, you know, are phenomenally stupid in that regard. They they don't follow through on these things that they come not with these ideas, which controversial as they are, that would have been interesting for quantum break. You know, if it had been the thing it was supposed to be, I think it would have been special at the same time. I think we were a bit too early to get there. You know, if you pitched Quantum Break now, fucking phenomenal idea. You know, people would be like putting the big money down and going, yeah, do it, do it, do it. Make the game, TV episodes, whatever like that. But at the time, yeah, it was a little too soon. You know, then as we've kind of remarked on earlier, that is the big thing about Remedy. They are just slightly ahead of the curve in certain aspects of their games. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. And in this case, it it wasn't. But yeah, Control, just sort of learned that lesson. It was like, no, we'll do this first, and then we will leave the legacy from there. And like I said, right at the start of this podcast, you think of the things it takes from and how it has amplified those things because of the existence of this game. Yeah, it shows. Yeah, I think that's the perfect balance you want. You can homage, you can be inspired by things, but if it's things that people are already interested in, like in the general public, what's the point? Because yeah, everyone knows that, and you're going to be judged by that metric. Here it was like something that could does needs more attention, needs more of a public view, like the SCP stuff. And it gave it you know, that I think it is undeniable that control had that kind of influence on that sector you know, because something that was in existence since 2007 but was never at the level it is now you know, in terms of how popular it is. Control played its part. You know, and I think that was one of the smartest decisions that uh, Remedy made.
1: Well, in typical Remedy fashion, it'll be interesting to see what they take from control and -hmm. then adapt and meld that into Alan Wake 2, I think, and, you know, just continue their streak of pushing their own ideas forwards and evolving on them in ways that, you know, as we've said now, it's going to be Alan Wake 2 is going to be less action oriented and more survival horror, which I think we can all agree. Um, Maybe initially you're thinking, well, how do they do that? But again, when we've talked about Remedy's track record and what they've been able to do, it's not the type of skepticism or apprehension perhaps that you might have from another studio that kind of has stuck with one type of game design and kind of continued it on whereas as we've mentioned Remedy is continually evolving and whatnot but uh, Matt and Aaron we were so happy to have you guys here to chat about Control and Remedy and uh, our hype for Alan Wake 2 and whatnot and I'm I'm sure we will uh, be having conversations in the future about Alan Wake 2 once that's out so thank you both for your time. No problem for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Saferoompod for show updates. You can follow our Twitter account for HorrorBytes also at HorrorBytes underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at Saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.